Good afternoon, everyone. Or shall I say good noon, everyone? Never have said that before. Good noon. I'm David Lussie, director of the Rothko Chapel, and I just want to start by saying what a privilege it is to have you with us today. But more importantly, what a privilege it is to be in company with one another. That's the, that's the privilege moment, I think. Uh, just a little housekeeping note. If you would do two things. One is turn or silence your cell phone. That's one. That would be great. And the other is just refrain from taking pictures. I think that just helps us to be together, be in community. And I think one of the things that we try to do here, although I am on a mic, and we do use mic, is try to de-emphasize uh, technology a bit in a world that's laden with it, just to have an opportunity to turn it off for a moment is great. You'll find it to be very healthy, I promise. You know, we're at a really interesting time in the life of this uh, community, and I go back thinking about one year ago in a day. So one year ago in a day, on September the 6th, 2017, as some of you all know, and if you don't, I'll just introduce you to the fact that every Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month, we have a meditation, a guided meditation uh, designed to help introduce people to the variety of spiritual practices in our community, a bit about how they grew up and emanated out of the world's uh, quest for spiritual health and wellness, and a chance to practice and to learn and meet each other. We had already had that scheduled, and then the week before or so, Harvey hit. So we knew that that moment in time, that gathering that had been planned out months ago was going to have a different significance for, for our community and for the people who came that day. And out of that, as we had that first gathering, we also then decided to hold space here every week. Um, we did that for about, uh, what, 10 weeks or so. A variety of people came and shared stories music, prayers, meditation, to kind of help us to oftentimes voice something that we're holding deep inside, but we have no place to give, give it a, a word in a way, a sacred word, and also to listen and be in community with others that oftentimes are articulating exactly what we feel, but we oftentimes feel very isolated. So part of the idea was to build a space for community to come together. It was interesting on that day, we lifted up the prayers of those that had lost, of uh, the uncertainty. We thought about our neighbors in Rockport, Corpus Christi, Beaumont. We also lifted up people that were dealing with the aftermaths of Hurricane Irma, people in the Pacific Northwest, with the fires, and even at that moment with the saber rattling with the US and North Korea. It was amazing in that moment as people spoke about what was on their hearts and minds that empathy was alive in this place because we were able to take what we were suffering or going through here but put it into that context of a global community that it was also going through its own times of tumultuous uh, being. We had as our leader, Cantor Rollins Simmons, uh, from Congregation Emmanuel, who came with a guitar. And it was amazing how we gave it space for song and prayer and just grief and hope, et cetera. 
knowing that we also had to travel back through those doors out back into the world to some very, very unknown times. So here we are today, one year later, short of a year, a day, but one year later we're in this place again. And what I think we want to do with this is to invite both the celebration of resiliency that allows us to serve one another, to get up in the morning, to get about life's business and opportunities. I will also say that it's also a time that I think, like any memorial, we also mourn those who lost. The loss of life, the loss of home, the loss of community. There are a lot of people that are no longer in this community anymore and will never come back. So we lift them up too. And most importantly, I think for this moment in time, we also have a moment to think about resiliency in the sense of thinking about so many of our neighbors that still don't have their homes rebuilt, their neighborhoods rebuilt, that are living in uncertainty about every time it rains and what will be that future. And the question is, how do we also strengthen our own resiliency to continue to work towards justice and equity so that in a sense that all of us really do experience life's greatest possibilities and are made whole through that process. So we hold this space today for that and I'm sure a lot more that you bring into this space that you may or may not give name to. One of the things that's uh, very, very special about today's event is that we're actually recording this as part of the um, Houston Flood Museum, which is not a physical museum, but one that exists that can be added to and, and augmented and curated about all the experiences that are shared about Harvey then, today, and in the days ahead. So if you do want to speak, the, the mic at one point later will be passed around. Uh, feel free to share your stories and feel called to speak into the mic. I'm probably not doing the best modeling of this. But we, again, this special place for community to help us explore questions of hope, resiliency that are here today. We're really blessed to have with us Dr. Alejandro Shaul and Dr. Leslie Gauna, who are, who are gonna lead us today. Their bios are in your programs. So I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time on this. But I wanna say that both of them are teachers, they're educators, they're students, they know play, they also know the seriousness of life, and they're here both in their own journeys, but to help us also to discover a bit of what we have inside ourselves that help us get up and be our neighbor to each other, both in the sense of rebuilding that which is physical, but that which is also spiritual. So. Alejandro and Leslie, welcome to the Rothko Chapel. Thank you, thank you. So um, David had shared this idea of sharing stories and um, that's what we will do. That's our goal for today in a contemplative uh, reflection of those stories. And I'm going to ask uh, Alejandro to get us uh, and to help us um, to understand what would that be like if we hear stories we already 
heard one story, right? Because uh, David, in a way, reminded us of a collective story, right? And what would that look like for a contemplative and in coming from a different place? So again, thank you. We're honored to be here. This is one of my favorite spaces in Houston. Um, and a place that personally I come for refuge as well. So um, one of the things that is important, at least in the traditions I've learned, in the contemplative traditions that I've learned mostly from the Tibetan tradition is that when we are in pain, it's important to acknowledge it, but to acknowledge it from a specific place. When we come to pain with pain, there's just more pain. There's not a possibility of transformation. So what we learn is that one of the things that we want to do is to connect to a place where there's more openness, more spaciousness. Where from that spaciousness, there's more awareness, more luminosity in a way. And that from there, there's warmth. And so as my teacher Tenzi Wanda Rinpoche would be to host that pain with a spacious, luminous, warm hug. When we're able to do that, then transformation can occur. So meditation is not about bypassing the pain and saying, oh, yes, I went through this pain, but now I'm fine. That's not what we're doing in meditation. What we're doing in meditation is take it in, but prepare, where are we taking it in? So what we like to start is preparing us before we tell the stories. So as we listen to each other, as we tell the stories, we're coming from that place, kind of from a meditation Sometimes we say, not from our rotten karmic cushion, but from that open, spacious, luminous hug. I thought also, before I actually start guiding it, to do a little kind of mini ritual, if I may. And this is a symbol of transformation that at its center is kind of the sense of connectedness. And this is a Tibetan kata, kind of a sense of honoring that you would do to uh, lama, or sometimes you would give to someone who's leaving or who's marrying, and so I thought I would leave that here as a symbol that we are honoring all your stories, all that is happening from this particular place. So in the next few minutes, I'd like to guide you into a possibility of coming down from the usual monkey mind to a more hard mind. And then from there, share our story. So take a moment to listen to this sound until it goes into silence. As we start savoring the silence, let it be an invitation to bring your mind inwards and maybe accommodate your body in a particular way that is comfortable at this moment.
Notice as you bring your mind inwards that you can connect to your breath and that you can breathe in and out freely. And that as you guide your breath, see if it's comfortable for you to breathe in and out more through your nose and to bring that breath towards your abdomen so to breathe a little lower than you usually do. Maybe to bring one hand or both hands right in front of your abdomen so that as you breathe in, you can feel that you can bring that air into your belly, kind of inflated as a balloon, and that as you breathe out, you contract and let go. That you breathe in and inflate the balloon and hold it there for a moment before you breathe out and let go. And to keep on breathing at your rhythm in this way. which research shows elicits a relaxation response that allows us to let go the monkey mind and come a little more to our heart mind. So that as we breathe, we're able to let go that usual mental prevalence and allow ourselves to feel and connect. We're not going somewhere else. We're going inside into our home. Keep on breathing at our own comfortable rhythm. And that if our mind gets distracted, we bring it back to our breath. Mind, breath, body connecting to our home, to our heart. When we connect to our heart, we may feel a little more relaxed. But even if we feel tense, allow to keep on breathing. Maybe by connecting more through the heart, there's a sense of almost expanding from the heart to the heart to the person next to you, to us. Almost feeling energetically that that space of our heart, of our home expands to our right and left and to the whole room. Maybe we can expand it even further than here. But for now, let's be here. 
be fully here so that if our mind gets distracted, we bring it back. If you need a visualization, feel that your breath is like light, like green light, the subtle aspect of air that reconnects. If you prefer another color, that is fine as well. Be as much here as possible with every breath, with our body, our heart, and our mind. And let's from that place hear attentively our story. Here you can have your eyes open or close, whatever is comfortable. You can change that as you go along. And as you tell your stories, and we'll start with Leslie, we will encourage you to be in a meditative state that we might suggest as a guide. My name is Leslie, and my I live on Bracewood Boulevard, and my house got 14 inches of uh, water, and um, we had to be out of the house for 11 months. So um, we are back in the house. We are very happy, but it was not easy to come back for me um, because I didn't want to come back. For many, many months, when I, people ask me, how's the house going? I would say, F the house. I don't care about the house. I just care about my family. And I can be anywhere I can be with my family. That's my home. However, um, that was not always the case. I. I brought uh, ideas of these, these four words, water, refuge, home, and uncertainty. And in terms of water, I grew up in, in three blocks from a huge river. So I learned how to swim in the river. I'm a swimmer. I was a marathon swimmer. I was crossing the river, Parana, uh, that's the name, father of the waters. And so when I bought a house, um, what I wanted to be a house to last was the closest I could get to a river was right in front of the bayou. And there was Brace Bayou. And for me, it was that perfect combination of, and it is still, of when you go to the bayou, you can see people running, people, uh, on their bicycles, and you can see the green all around. You, if you go down, you can see fish and cranes, and and you can see uh, turtles, and the dogs can be left unleashed, uh, off the leash, and so it's. And then you hear the cars very nearby, and you're like, oh, this is nature. So then you can connect with nature 
right there instantly in the middle of inside the loop. <laughs> and so that was how it was for me when I grew up, the big city and the river and nature. So water kind of betrayed me. It did betray me when the water got into my house. I had never felt the rage of water coming with that strength into my house. We had to escape uh, from to the in through the backyard on a kayak that we inflated, and we put my mom, 70 years old, my two dogs, and some clothes, and we got out across the the rivers uh, of Houston at that time, and. We went to a place we thought it was gonna be safe, but it actually also got flooded. So there was no refuge. That was the other word that came to my mind. There was no refuge. Not only refuge because we were wet, and because anywhere we stepped was wet for many, many hours, for days, but also because we were all such in shock that all our close friends, everybody, were not a refuge for us anymore. So that's why we couldn't escape. I couldn't escape. We couldn't escape. And then we, again, we couldn't find our home, right? Um, so then we, we did get a home. Uh, we borrowed a house, and so we were the lucky ones. And we are the lucky ones because we are back <laughs> in the house. And I know many of us are not back. I mean, many of our people in our community. And then something that I want to finish with is this idea of uncertainty. And I lost my sense of place, which is something for if you're an immigrant, or even if you're not an immigrant, so many years you think you're going to come back. You're going to come back. And so then when you feel you have the right to say, this is my home, and then in one night your home is gone, or at least the sense of place is gone, gone. it's really really hard, but I, and I, at the same time, I found, I reconnected with the certainty of uncertainty. That's what I, that's how it feels like for me. Because I thought I had everything, the best of the two worlds, nature and city, uh, US and Argentina in a way, and this sense of home and stability, and now I know I know something for sure. I know that the uncertainty is in our lives and I'm making peace with it. So that's uh, my story. And there's so many other stories I can tell you about my daughter's quinceanera that happened in between, my, one of my kids having trouble at school and actually the aftermath is that one of them is not going to school right now, uh, quit school, another one. There's, um, hard to talk with each other, but also then so many strangers and people coming and giving themselves to us and so many friends giving themselves to us and then the changing of the friendships. So many stories, right? So that's what I want to elicit uh, in a way, putting myself in this vulnerable place. I thought I was not going to be able to talk without crying, so it's okay to cry. I already kind of practice this. It, this story came like three, to, to distill this story in four words, I had to tell this story to myself at least three times. And the first times I cried a lot, so it's okay to cry. <laughs> I'm not giving you so much time. Where's the microphone? 
Oh, you have it. Okay, so we can, um, I'll, I'll pass out the ma microphone. That's usually how, it, for me, is to be aware of the time, meaning be aware of how much time you have to say that story. Oh, yes, let's do that. Sorry. And um, after each story, thank you, I guess I was not feeling like, oh, no, now we're going to have to reflect upon my story, right? That was my resistance, I guess. <laughs> so part of what we want to do is, so what, how do you feel with this story? So I'm going to first invite Leslie maybe to breathe, exhale, scream, move. you also notice how you react to the story and how you feel with it. See if you can still be in that meditative space. What pulled you away? What did you react to? What triggered? And what are ways to come back? not to bypass the reactions to the story, but to host them back in the space with awareness and warmth. Let me give you a minute to express yourself in that way, whether it's breathing, maybe there's a sigh, Maybe it's just in silence, or maybe it's moving. Whatever it's you need to do, do it. And it's not just Leslie, but it's each one of us how we react what we just heard and as we now feel. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you for not letting me forget about that. <laughs> and um, I moved to, towards it, so let's remember that, right? That we have that freedom of moving as a part of a reflective, contemplative um, exercise. So um, maybe let's uh, begin with turning to someone that you haven't come with, right? Maybe you, maybe someone in front of you, someone on your side, maybe someone uh, that is behind you. And share briefly, briefly meaning like in one or two sentences. I tried to do it in four words, but it came more. But, <laughs> uh, why are you here? Why are you here? And let's begin with one person next, and, and then I'll say change. So please do that. That's a way to bring your, our stories.
Gracias. If you don't find a partner, make sure you can be in threes also. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure you now you change if you haven't. Make sure you. Uh, yes. Let's do that. Come on, Make sure you change now if you haven't had a chance, so you both have a chance to share. So now it's a good opportunity to change, and the other person tells the story if you haven't yet. I think we're good. Did you have an opportunity to share? You sure? We'll respect silence as well. So when we ring the bell, it means we quiet down. <laughs> the good thing is that we have many stories now in the air. And uh, I'm going to ask if, if you will be so kind to raise up your hand so I know where to hand the microphone. You can be seated or you can stand up for sharing a moment. Could you be so kind to share your name? My name is Angela Blanchard, and I came today because uh, last year at this time, it was my job to run the shelter at NRG, and um, I've been interviewed a lot about that, but I've never, I've been everyone else's show and tell, and haven't gotten to say what it was like for me or how I felt about it, and um, when I did that, I was in the middle of what's been 15 years of study about how we welcome people and that took me to Australia after the fires and Germany to work with Syrians. And so for me, this business of creating welcome and refuge, and I thought of NRG as a sanctuary. And it was my goal for us to create that and do it well. But for me personally, it was being confronted with, like I spent 30 years trying to make the world work better for the poorest people in the community. And there they all were. And I thought, oh, there's so much left to do. And I was really tired. Um, and at this time last year, I hadn't slept for days. And, um, but there was, I am reminded of something I learned. At every milestone, there's gratitude and grief in equal measure. 
and that's what I'm feeling today. So I needed this place today to come and just be, you know, not interviewed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, so thank much. Thank you for making this. And repeat your name. Um, Angela Blanchard. Okay. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much. So notice how you welcome the story of Angela. And notice how we want to feel Angela, feel welcome both in here and with herself. Notice if you just want to breathe or want to stand, or maybe want to get close to Angela and hug her, whatever it is, if she wants. But allow yourself to do that. This is, this is what is community. So take a moment and whatever you do, do it from a genuine place, not from your mental, what should I do? What is right and what is, just be genuine. Be from your heart, take a few moments. And Angela too, you welcome yourself as you are in this sense. feel a collective hug because the welcome is to Angela but it's also to ourselves to that part of us that needs welcome and that sometimes we don't allow ourselves to be welcome to ourselves or to the space that we're in Hey, I'm Mary, and um, I was in the uh, 2100 Memorial Drive building for senior citizens, and I loved the hurricane because I got to see a lake shimmering for miles. It was gorgeous. But uh, what amazed me the most was there were a lot of extremely poor people in that building and um, I think what amazed me the most was the people who had so-called bad reputations, the woman who would wait outside to pick up people, and um, it was said for money and all, and the guys who never did anything. They now had something to do because we were isolated from the world for three days, and they lugged buckets of water from the garage up, I guess, 14 flights of stairs and would go offer to people uh, to, to flush their toilets. And um, 
was a long journey, but those three days were quite beautiful. And I was just so impressed at the love in the industry of folks when they have an opportunity to do that. So, and then came the rest of the community, maybe a thousand of them, walk, walking on door, you know, walk, walking down the hall and giving out food. This went on for weeks and, and giving out um, uh, uh, medical supplies and doing medical care and just about everything you can imagine. What amazed me the most were the folks who carried cases of water, bottled water, up those 13 flights of stairs. Something I couldn't do. Thank you. Mary, right? And I also heard you said that it amazed you also uh, very much so at the very beginning how those people that you were, how do you call them? That they were the ones who were not usually there or? Yeah. The you mean the, the ones that, that didn't behave? That they didn't behave. Then it amazed you to see them in a different way. Did I get that right? Well, it wasn't different. They were different because they had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to be uh, uh, helpful. They had an opportunity to to be industrious. They had an opportunity to be gracious, which they hadn't had before. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thank you. So first, let's hear Mary's story. Take an opportunity to hear it in your body, in your breath, in your mind. Notice how that makes you react, if anything. Notice maybe how our relationship to other people changes and changed for you, whether it was in Mary's story or in a story that resonates with you through Mary's story. Maybe a sense of how we see other people behave how they changed, given the opportunity. How we changed, given the opportunity. Just reflect, but not in an intellectual way, with breath and heart. we do that, notice if there's any prejudices in our mind at this moment, ways that we see other people from our lens that can be different, that can expand. Use that water, maybe as a possibility of flow of openness and comfort. As we 
start more fluidly relating to each other. And maybe also notice what happens when the water recedes. What happens if we're not any more affected by that storm? Do we come back to those same roles and behaviors? Or maybe we took that opportunity, that change, that transformation, to notice something that still lives with us today. And honor that with a breath, an open, luminous, warm hug. My name is Suzanne. Um, my house got flooded last year. Um, not only um, I got to see what it feels like to go back to a flooded house um, on a boat. Um, we had to um, flee in high-rising waters. Um, in the car, as we were trying to escape, I saw boats and cars toppled over. And that's how close um, we got to feeling uncertain even for our lives. And since then, um, I have tried to um, give meaning to my experience. Um, and I have tried to survive. Um, which I've done, I would rather say, beautifully. Uh, we're not back yet in our house. Um, but this experience um, opened my eyes to many aspects of life that I knew existed, but I've never paid attention. Um, first of all, how um, in the midst of something like this, people can become one as a community, become one unit rather than many different units existing alongside each other, become, we become one. So many people that, did, that didn't know me, had never had any encounter with me, came to my, to my help. Um, they helped me collect the stuff that I could save and get rid of the stuff that I couldn't. Um, they took me back to my house uh, on boats. Um, um, so that was the amazing experience that I got through um, water coming to my house is that I found 
a global community of human beings rather than mm. each of us trying to live our own separate lives. Um, the second thing is that through going through this experience, um, personally, I tried to survive, and I did. But as you mentioned, I want to choose this opportunity to turn pain not only as a foundation for survival, but something to thrive, to flourish, to use it to um, understand the global pain and uh, open the space for that luminous light of being mm, and get connected to everybody that's going through it. Mm, thank you. And repeat your name? Suzanne. Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you. As we feel what Suzanne said, notice that aspect of survivorship. We all survived, Harvey. But we also, so many that didn't. Honor both feelings. How, like Suzanne mentioned, change the way that we connect to the meaning, the meaning of being, being alive. And just notice how that feels for you now. that in as you bring this to yourself to your heart to your body let that body express let that breath express let your mind receive it openly let that feeling of oneness we are here also coming from all different places are now one, at least for these moments, for this hour. Do we feel one? What do we need to do to feel more one? Maybe you want to breathe deeper. Maybe you want to expand, open up. Maybe you want to reach to someone next to you. Whatever it is, connect to that oneness. And noticing that in that survivorship, it's not just about Harvey. There's so many surviving so many situations and let's host for that, for this moment, let's host all of that, all of them. Because we're also all one. And see if that changes your meaning as it did for Suzanne.
down there, as you very well said, not just surviving, but thriving and flourishing. And I would add, not just to the oneself, but as a community. And that I feel, what's the meaning for me for being here and now? I want to share that. So we have three more minutes uh, in the allotted time that we, we carve from our daily lives. And we want to honor that, even though we will keep going, we want to make sure that, that we all uh, end up this experience together. 10 more minutes. Oh, I thought I saw the sign of three. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ten more minutes. Okay, great. We have one more story. We have time for more stories. Then. This is a story. Okay, we have two. All right. So I'm, I may have um, to facilitate this in a way, so we can squeeze those two stories if you allow me to do so. And your name? Apro. Apro. So where does your story begin? So, for me, this is kind of like a confession because Harvey gave me the opportunity to discover myself and um, kind of access my true purpose, which is to help people heal and find themselves. And for that, I feel a great amount of guilt. Guilt. So give me a moment that it could help us picture you in that discovering yourself and then maybe the guilt with it. But the, how is it that you help people heal them? Uh, as, give us a moment. So I was involved in um, something called mind-body skills groups. Okay. Uh, we sit in a similar kind of situation where we have a safe place and connect with each other and share stories, very much like what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, the guilt comes from I didn't flood Mm. Yet, I learned so much about myself. I found my purpose at what end? Mm. At thousands of people flooding mm. and human suffering. Yes, yes. Your story makes sense. The sense of guilt as well. Apro, right? Thank you. Thank you, Apro. And I, I think uh, many of us can resonate with that sense of guilt, particularly if we were in that situation where, yeah, we didn't flood. I can resonate my house. I could see my street was a river, but the water luckily didn't get into my house. I was not conscious enough to let my daughter play with kind of a floating goose that was there with a friend. Luckily, nothing happened. But the guilt of, yes, of we are not being directly affected, but it's right there. And then going to the hospital and helping as you did. So this meaning of helping and this aspect of guilt, I know many of us have this sense of guilt from whatever it came. So take a moment to 
Notice that sense of guilt. But bring it to that space of openness, luminous, warm hug. That's where you bring the guilt. Because that guilt is just an energy. Let go the concept and just feel the energy of it. Notice that maybe like in Apro's case for you too, that guilt motivated you to go and help others. And see the meaning of how that not only helped others, but also helped yourself. And then, from that place of home, of inner home, of connectedness, just notice if you still want to call it guilt. Another hand up, and then I'm going to come back to you. Yumi? Hi, my name is Afshi Charania, and I'm a volunteer with the Smiley Jamaat Kanan Center in Fort Bend County. Um, I wanted to say for Ismaili Muslims, volunteering is a central component of, of our faith. And so I think with Harvey, one of the things that a lot of us saw was being on the giving end, all of a sudden, you, we ended up on the receiving end as well. So that was interesting um, for myself personally in my house. Um, we were housing four other families, many of them seniors, and who were in mandatory evacuation areas. So we were giving and opening our home up, where all of a sudden, we ended up also being having to be evacuated. And we were all of a sudden responsible for four other families and seniors who we had to evacuate with us to another safe place. So that was interesting for us and like a prova, once the eye of the storm passed and we realized that we, you know, survived the hurricane relatively unscathed and leak here and leak there really wasn't a big deal anymore. It really put things in perspective. But we all I also had survivor's guilt and I thought, what else can I do now? It was that sense of helplessness of, you know, always being on the giving end, not now you're just in the state of shock for like a day, right? until I got a call from the Ismaili Jamaat Kanan Center and said, hey, come here and volunteer. There's a need. And going there, seeing the Jamaat Kana being open as a sanctuary to the community, even though it was in a volunteer evacuation area itself, and allowing people to come in and finding homes for people. And the volunteer bases grew and grew and grew. It was, it was, it was phenomenal, because I think as Houstonians, we found the best of our friends, our neighbors, and people that we had never met before. Yes. So this giving and being on the other side of receiving. Did I get that right? Ashijanya? Is that the Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And actually, I've, I've been to the Jamaatna Sent Ismaili Center. Um, they received us for a conference that we do. So thank you for, as we feel this giving and receiving, 
just notice both from your individual connection to giving and receiving, to being in both sides, to when you are in one side and the other, when maybe that sense of the perfect giving is when there is no giver and receiver and it just flows. Just notice if there was any opportunity doing Harvey or otherwise that you feel that. The flowing of giving and receiving where those roles almost melt into each other and we're in that Breathe into that flow and how it makes us feel. As we are more in the flow of that giving and receiving, we can connect not just from ourselves but from our community. Whether it is the Shamagna Ismaili Center, whether it is whatever church, synagogue, temple, Rothko Chapel that you're from. And how also as we interconnect, we flow and we stop calling each other just our center, but we call each other community. So breathe into us community. And if it resonates with you, I'd invite you all to stand. See if this resonates for you. All to stand and come closer to each other as we do a big circle. See if you can join the circle, even if you're in second and third row now. Come to the first row. See if you can open your hearts and open your arms as well and hug each other as we do a big circle. Hug and let yourself be hugged if you want to. If you need to stay out, you can. But I see if you are out and you want to come in, please do. So look at each other. Now, if you want, close your eyes just for a moment. Breathe in the standing posture held by two people next to you. Held by the whole circle. Being held by the whole community. Sometimes we only reach out when we feel the need to come out of our cocoon. It's so nice to know that the community is there. But know that the community is there always. That your space of your community is there for you. 
and that the Radha Chakra is a space for you. So with that, whenever you're ready, if we keep on breathing and connecting heart to heart, that we're not just connected with our arms, but with our hearts. Take the time you need to open your eyes and maybe look at each other again. Remember that this is just a sample of all the community. Some couldn't be here because they're doing other work. And thank you, everyone, for being here and doing your work with us. Thank each other for your stories. And think I'm sure that when we are out of here, we're also going to keep um, trying to find meaning and resonance of the stories we heard. We are going to walk out of here changed because of the stories and because of our reflective time together. Also, to let you know that there are other opportunities, both here at the Rothko Chapel. You know, we continue having these 12 moments that this year became more moments. So that's also an advantage of having had Harvey's. But also of different other community places where sometimes Leslie and I do things, like the Jung Center, uh, where she will be doing a playback, where I'll be doing what I call CPR, which is Compassionate Professional Renewal, in our new <laughs> Mind, Body, Spirit Institute that we opened there. I brought some flyers, but if not, go to the website, mbsihouston.org, and other things that we do in the community, whether it's rice or otherwise. So uh, please join, still be connected in whichever way is useful to you. Open invitation and space. If, if you wonder what I was doing when movement, we call it that we play back your story. And that's why it's the name of the, uh, another way to get together and tell our moments and our stories and actors, uh, more than one, usually five or six, and a musician, we play back your moments. You're welcome to come September 21st at the Yoon Center. And if you don't remember, just think about that play back we are called Houston Playback, and you can look us up at the Union Center. There is a, a fee, but don't let that um, really be the cause of you not going. So you, you're, everybody's welcome. Well, listen, we, many ways we can say thanks. Oh, this one is thank you. To each other. Um, we use the word community a lot today. One of the things that's great about this place is that, first of all, it's a silence with air conditioning humming. Mm. Somebody once said that's a very interesting mantra. <laughs> and, uh, but it's that little bit of the, just the break from the cacophony of everything mm -hmm. that's out there. Uh, the second thing is, how many of you all are here for the very first time at a program? Well, to you, especially want to say welcome, because this place is open every day of the year. 10 to 6, it's 
except when it floods. And we worked hard to get it back open again quickly because of that sense of just the invitation to come anytime that we're here. Just come and be and be with others that are here too. And look at the program that you got today. We have information about the Jung Center, the Playback Theater. Um, and then on the back side are some upcoming programs that we'll be offering here. In addition to meditation, International Day of Peace will be very uh, special day because we have the Silk Road Ensemble, a group of musicians that are in residence that are part of the Yo-Yo Ma movement around Silk Road. Um, so it's a way to kind of, again, stimulate uh, spirit, thought, energy through many media. So I, I really encourage you to come back. And again, thanks for sharing your story. Stay as long as you want, but, and uh, the world awaits. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.